Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 73 of the Farbam Metal Podcast. I'm your host and guide on this metal journey, Daniel Cordova. In this episode, Paolo Gregoletto discusses his first band, and I recommend the Houston, Texas progressive one-man band Nick Haas. Before all that, I welcome Between the Barrier to Me guitarist and co-founder Paul Wagner to the show. On May 15th, Between the Barrier to Me are reissuing a new remixed and remastered version of their debut self-titled album, The One That Started It All. Paul came on the program to discuss that reissue, his coffee business, they're now postponed 20th anniversary tour, a fan survey that BT Bam recently posted to their Instagram, which I had him fill out, and more. So before we dive in, here are some of aspirations from the new remastered version of Between the Buried and Me's debut album. Well, this is Daniel from uh, Far Beyond Metal. How are you? Good. How's it going, man? Not too bad. Let me just adjust the level slightly, and yeah, now going great. Okie dokie. I'm uh, actually parking my car in a parking deck, so if you, if I lose you, it'll be very briefly. Alrighty. Um, it should be good. Yeah. Well, if you uh, hear screaming children, it's my neighbors because they're are, they're uh, stuck at home as well. So you know, <laughs> yeah, good times. Yeah, just like everybody. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. How is your uh, your current COVID life going? It's going okay. I mean, I've got enough uh, to keep me somewhat busy. I own a uh, a coffee shop um, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we're we're closed, but um, we are doing some you know kind of I'm doing some like maintenance work in there and stuff. So uh, doing a, a little remodel of the kitchen. So I've got plenty of things going on, I guess that that keep me keep me busy. Are you guys expanding, doing any sort of like door delivery sort of stuff? We we were doing a curbside and delivery um, for a couple weeks when this all kind of happened, but um, we needed to do a bunch of um, work anyway, and you know business was so slow that we just we just decided to close for a couple weeks um, and kind of do do some remodeling and clean the place up and, and fix some things that were broken and. Um, and then we'll reopen and probably, you know, for the foreseeable future, we'll, we'll have to do a similar type of, um, curbside pickup delivery model, um, obviously, but, but yeah, we'll probably reopen in a couple of weeks. And, uh, other than just being a coffee fan, how did you get into the whole coffee roasting, you know, coffee shop business? Well, honestly, just from, um, you know, the music thing actually got me into it. Cause that just was, was my thing when I was on tour, I just, I did a lot of, uh, you know, looking around for like the best coffee shop in whatever town we were in, you know, just kind of using Yelp or whatever. And, and eventually just went down the rabbit hole and that just kind of became my vice. So, um, so yeah, I just, I started, that's, that's really how my, my fascination with, with coffee and, and this industry kind of started is, is really through the, the music thing. Um, and here, now here I am. <laughs> And I'm in the uh, the greater Sacramento area. Do you have one off the top of your head that you could pull from us or no? Oh, man, I love one of my favorite um, places is actually in Sacramento. It's called Temple Coffee Roasters. Temple's very good. Yeah, Temple's really good. And uh, there's a few other places I've been in Sacramento, but um, I 
can't remember the name of it off off the top of my head, but but honestly, every time I go there, Temple is is the, really the place that I'm 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 looking for. You know what I mean? I'm I'm that's my first order of business when I get off the bus is I'm I'm going to Temple. Of course. <laughs> and I think there's not one far from uh, Ace of Spades where I've seen y'all a couple times. There's not. Yeah, I think there's a couple that are kind of like walking distance from uh, from Ace of Spades. Um, is cool so uh yeah i've been to a few of them i've been to a few of their locations they have one that's kind of open late it's kind of like a late night type of vibe and it's can't remember which street it's on but uh that one's really cool so i actually live in the town outside of uh sack called uh davis and so we're a college town and ours is open until 11 p.m which seems crazy but it's full until 11 p.m that's awesome yeah. yeah we would love our shops open like we're open until like nine on Fridays and Saturdays, but it kind of dies after like five because we're kind of in a, in a downtown area. So once everybody goes home for, from work, they don't really venture back out here. But um, I would love to have like a, I would love to have like a late night coffee shop. It just uh, doesn't really, <laughs> doesn't really work here in this city quite yet. Yeah. And uh, with, with the imagery behind uh, Night Flyer and like when it first launched, of course, it had a different name. Kind of, if I'm remembering my timeline right, sort of was around Parallax Two, uh, which has owl imagery to it. What is your what's your deal with owls? Um, well, a few things. So, a big yeah, the um, with the Parallax story, um, we kind of decided that it would be cool if like owls were like the bringers of the of the human souls to to the um to the new planet or whatever, and also my my wife's mother so I guess um, she saw an owl perched on a roof or something so she she was like oh an owl delivered your soul or whatever so um you know we just thought that the symbolism was kind of cool uh, they're just cool animals you know they're they're you know nocturnal they're they're sort of um they're they live in pretty much solitude so there's just a lot of cool things about owls and i just thought it would be a cool uh, kind of a cool mascot for the for the coffee business and it obviously ties into the um the band as well so um you know just had a couple you know multiple angles i guess that had some significance for me and does the uh, mascot have a name last question about the coffee thing although i'm very fascinated <laughs> <by it. laughs> no I, you know that's a good question i've never never even thought to like name name the guy um uh, so no he doesn't have a name i'm gonna throw Dan throw daniel out there but you know i'm a little self-serving so daniel okay yeah, well, that's, that is a good name. It's got a nice ring to it. All right, I fantastic. Like <laughs> uh, so let's switch gears and talk about the the band thing a little bit. Um, uh, you guys were in South America when things started to shut down. Was there any sort of like unrest with the band or the crew with everything everywhere else sort of like going to shit? Yeah. So like, well, for one thing, I mean, we kind of lucked out on, on it because I think had that tour been scheduled for like a week later, I think probably the whole thing would have gotten canceled. Um, we were kind of like the whole time it felt like we were like right ahead of the, you know, the, the sort of the precipice of this whole thing. So like it, it just, you know, fortunately we only ended up having to cancel uh, one show Argentina, but, um, you know, it was a little stressful. I mean, it was kind of every day we were sort of waiting for that hammer to drop, you know, like the show was going to get canceled or, or we were going to get stuck, you know, in a, in a, in per Peru or something, you know what I mean? But, um, 
but like I said, we were slightly ahead of sort of the, the crazy spike in, in, you know, cases and in deaths. And, and also I think at the time, you know, since the majority of that tour was in South America, the concern there was a little lower. Like they just hadn't had that many cases reported there. So it wasn't quite on the radar yet there. Um, and, and of course that's where we were. So we were kind of living in accordance with their government, um, regulations and stuff like that. So we were kind of just going, going through the motions and, you know, obviously we were prepared to do whatever we had to do. Um, if it meant canceling the shows and flying home, like we were certainly prepared to do that. But most of the, um, most of the news, you know, most of the sort of bad news around the pandemic was coming out of, out of the U S. So we were like, there was a part of us that like, honestly, we felt safer um, there than we did. Like I was almost like not really looking forward to, to getting back home, you know, cause this was around the time when the, the toilet paper hoarding was starting to happen. And, and I was like, man, I, it sounds like a total dystopian, like nightmare back, back in the States. I don't know if I want to go back, you know, I felt like I was maybe safer in Brazil or something. So, um, you know, it was definitely weird. It was, it was, it was just a strange feeling, but, uh, we just, you know, we lucked out all the shows kind of went, went off, uh, totally fine. Like, uh, and, and none of us got, you know, none of us got sick. Um, so I'm thankful for that. And, uh, did you wind up getting tested just in case? Well, I would love to get tested just to see if I've, you know, maybe get the antibody test to see if I've been exposed to it or something like that. But obviously, you know, getting tested is uh, not even an option unless you're, you know, unless you're actually sick or whatever. So, um, you know, none of us had any symptoms or whatever. So we're, we're just kind of living under the assumption that we, we didn't get it. Um, and which is, again, it's pretty surprising because we did like 18 flights in 21 days, I think. So just all that flying, international flying and stuff like that, you would, you know, I, I would, in hindsight, I, I would kind of like, man, I can't believe, you know, I didn't, I didn't get this thing. So, uh, you know, thankful for that. Um, and, uh, and, and also just thankful for, for really the timing and, and the fact that we were able to do the tour and that everybody's, you know, healthy and everything so i know a lot of bands a lot of friends of mine you know who were in europe and had to cancel an entire tour and you know i can't imagine just the financial impact of that and and just the the stress that that they went through um dealing with that so i I, i'm pretty thankful that we we kind of got lucky um comparatively speaking yeah, I was I was kind of keeping an eye on your social media when all that was going on, and it's good to hear that you guys are all all healthy and doing well. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I feel very fortunate for sure. Uh, now, this is a question about the upcoming repressing of the debut album, and this could all just be sort of a twist of a headline, you know, that kind of thing being taken out of context. But historically, you've come off as somebody who's not super nostalgic about the early material. <laughs> um, I, I but. I've seen quotes of you saying that you guys are done playing pre-Alaska stuff. However, since then I've seen you play Mordecai and other stuff as well. So, eh. how are you? Uh, how are you revisiting the first album and putting the cassette together for the like VIP thing? Like, how do I feel about it? Yeah. How, how did well, you re-listen to the stuff? Like maybe in a new light or, yeah. How was the process for well, you? I think what it is, you know, like obviously we a, a large. The biggest reason why we don't play like older material is is because the set is 
you know, we just, we don't have time, you know, like, um, and the reality is, you know, I think most of our fans came on board around Alaska or colors. And, and so that was a, most of the reason why we didn't really play older material is because when we did play older material, the majority of the fans just weren't really familiar with it. And it didn't, you know, it, it, that material is so different musically that it just didn't flow well with, with a live set. Um, so it was never like about me not being proud of that material or anything like that. It just, it just, it didn't work, you know, like in, in our, in our, when we're trying to play like newer material, but in the context of, of, a of an evening with show or, or, or a con a show that is intended to kind of celebrate our career, um, you know, I don't mind playing the old stuff at all. In fact, it's kind of, it's kind of fun and refreshing. So um, revisiting that material, I mean, it, there is a nostalgic quality to it. I, I love thinking about that time in our, in my life, you know? Um, and, you know, that was when, you know, we were just, we didn't have a career. We were just like kids, you know, playing, playing shows on the weekends and just, we had no idea that it was going to lead to this like 20 year uh, journey. So it is kind of fun to go back to those days and, and re almost relive that time. And um, so I enjoy it. And the fact that we, you know, we we're doing the, the cassette re-release is kind of cool too. Cause it obviously it's a, it's a throwback to an older technology, um, which uh, is, is pretty significant as well. So, uh, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's awesome. And, and uh and I do like to, to relive those days because in a lot of ways, those were kind of like, you know, th that was when being in the band was like really just sort of this adventure. You know, this was before, um, you know, this was before cell phones. You know, this was like, you know, we were touring around in a, in a cargo van um, with big stacks of like MapQuest directions to get to the venue. So um, just the, the whole thing, you know, not just the music, but just that whole time in our life like i really have enjoyed kind of reliving that and um and just the, the nostalgia of it, it is very um valuable to me I, I really you know kind of really appreciate the the journey was it uh easier or harder than just for well i mean it was a little bit of both i guess i mean it was harder in the sense that you know, boring wasn't as comfortable, you know, it was a lot of sleeping on people's floors and, and all that stuff. But at the same time, we were younger, our bodies were, and minds were a lot more resilient to that kind of thing. And, and again, it was something new and fresh and fun and adventurous. So, um, it didn't quite have the, uh, you know, I, I would, I wouldn't be able to do that now as a 41 year old, you know, that would just kill me. Um, but you know, and then also, you know, it was just, obviously we were playing smaller shows and, and, and all this stuff. But again, we didn't really have a frame of reference, you know, back then we were just doing what, <laughs> what was, what came natural and what we were able to do. So, um, so yeah, in some ways I think it was, it was more fun because there was this sort of like naivete uh, attached to it. Like we just didn't really know any better. We didn't know where the road was going to lead us. Uh, we were just kind of living in the moment. Whereas now, you know, it's a business, you know, I mean, it's still fun and we, we love it and we still have a passion for the music, but it's also the way we make a living. It's the way we feed our families. And it's, there's a lot more kind of stress associated with, especially now, obviously, um, there's a lot more stress and when you throw uncertainty into the equation it, it is a 
it is a totally different experience than just being a 20 year old, 21 year old kid, um, you know, playing a couple shows on the weekends, you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's just a totally different, totally different vibe and totally different mindset. But, you know, both of them, I guess, have their, have their pros and cons. And I was sent the uh, the remix remaster version of the debut album a little bit ago, and I have yet to like totally a b it with the original pressing. But um, from what I've listened to so far seems it's clear, it's louder. How involved were you in that and like remaster as well? So he kind of had, um, I think he had a good idea um, of what he was going to do. Now there was limitations. Reading it, we recorded it to ADAT. We didn't record like direct signals of the guitar, so reamping was not an option. There, there was definitely. Um, I'm not sure what he did actually for the remix. I don't know how he made it sound better and more clear. I'm not sure what kind of magic he worked, but he did a good job, considering um, the fact that you know if you isolate the like for example if you isolate the guitar tracks, you're going to hear drums. You know, there's just bleed in every single channel because again we recorded the album live which is crazy to think but um but yeah you know he 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 did a good job uh we were involved in the sense that you know he sent us he would send us references and we would listen to it and say hey yeah that sounds you know good or you know maybe we can turn the guitars up a little bit there um you know we tried to um we tried not to nitpick it too much because we didn't want it to we didn't want it to sound too different. You know, I think there's like sort of a, you know, we're trying to keep that sort of old, old <laughs> quality to it that, that made it what it is. So, uh, but he pretty much did a good job. I think almost right off the bat, like with the first reference he sent us, I think we were all pretty happy with it. I think he did a, did a good job. So, um, so yeah, um, you know, we were involved, I guess, to answer your question, we were involved, but we, we tried to not, um, we tried to not, you know, nitpick it too much. And uh, this kind of came on the heels of the great misdirect being remixed, remastered similarly. I, I feel mm-hmm. like as a fan, I've seen a call for the debut album to get this uh, this treatment for a while, but I was a little surprised by great misdirect. Why, why do you guys, what, what, what with that? What with that? I'm a professional, clearly. Like, <laughs> like why, why did we mess with it, I guess? I, I, I guess sort of like it. it like the debut album is definitely raw. The great misdirect was like has the BT Bam uh, polish on already, and now it's shinier. Yeah, we well, I think we were all obviously, you know, um, we're 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 our own worst critics. I think um, I was happy with the way the great misdirect sounded. I think it sounded good for especially the type of music that we were writing uh, on that record. I think the the it was very appropriate um, for the for the time um, for the for the music. I think the production sounded good, but. Uh, I think we just wanted a little more clarity out of it. And so we thought it was worth like revisiting um, just to get a little more clarity out of the guitars and, um, and a c- couple different, you know, tonal things that we, you know, you always like when you release an album, you're always like, oh, I wish we would have done this different or that different. And it just, you know, it gave us the opportunity um to do that which you know a lot of bands don't don't have the opportunity to do that so we figured you know let's polish it up a little bit give it more clarity and uh again i think he did a good job with it like you said it is it does sound a little more polished but in my my opinion i guess um it's it doesn't sound so different than the recording you know i mean it doesn't sound like we retract it or anything like that agreed um so so i think um you know it's it's polished and it sounds good um but not not like 
you know, it's not like crazy, uh, a, a crazy difference. So. some of my favorite BT BAM track, prequel to the sequel from Colors. I'll have more with Paul Wagner in just a moment, but first this is my first band. Every musician has to start somewhere, and in this episode, Paolo Gregoletto from Trivium discusses his first band. Uh, my first real band was called Metal Militia, and if you know the song, it's a Metallica song, and I wouldn't say we sounded like Metallica, but like that was definitely like all the early thrash stuff was like our kind of our guiding light, and you know, I just pretty much like everything that I was influenced immediately, like directly at that point was like what the kind of music sounded like. And we were definitely out of place for the time, you know, like Florida late nineties is all like, you know, bands like trapped and like new metal. So we were really did not fit in anything. And we were a little bit, I feel like we were a little too, I feel like we kind of missed the kind of post-hardcore scene in South Florida. So, like, um, like Poison the Well and stuff was, like, very big, you know, at that time. But we were, like, a couple of years too young to be a part of that scene. So we were just, like, in this, like, weird moment, you know. And it's kind of funny now because I feel like the thrash, like, the retro thrash thing has, like, really kicked off. And, like, of course, Power Trip great. Havoc's great. All these bands. And, you know, it's kind of cool to see that that thing did kind of kick off again, like this resurgent, like thrash sound. So we were just, you know, way, way, <laughs> way ahead of our time for w when we were kind of trying to play thrash music in the middle of the new metal uh, scene. And you said your first real band, did you have something before that that didn't, like you thought you were in a band and didn't actually do any tours, but? Mm, no, it was kind of like, you know, and the metal militia thing, that was like six years of like when I was in like, from late middle school to like into high school, but everything pretty much before that was like, um, you know, just playing with friends and stuff, like loose groups, not like official names and stuff like that. Like it was just kind of like playing covers or playing punk songs, stuff like that. It wasn't like, you know, okay, we got a, la a band logo and we're gonna record demos and try to get press and shows. Like it was, the metal militia thing was like the first real thing for me. The Dead Men Say by Trivium was released on April 24th via Roadrunner Records. To order a copy, head over to trivium.org. 
Now, before I wrap my conversation with Paul from Between the Barrier to Me, here is some of their ridiculously fun cover of Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Twentieth anniversary tour you got postponed because I know the entire second set is great misdirect. What what was the first set looking like? Um yeah, well, I mean we had the we we had the set list already already planned out. We were already started the you know the production and um I mean we were you know we were ready basically ready to go. The only thing we had left today, but uh, the first set I can't remember it song for song, but um it was a little bit of everything. You know we were doing um some some stuff off of uh, self titled some stuff off uh silent circus some stuff off alaska uh some you know we we had a little bit i think of everything we had something off of every album so it was just kind of a hodgepodge of all the older material and uh and again you know um like you said the second set was was great mr rex so we're gonna celebrate that album as well and you know it's hard to talk about it and as though it's the tour is not going to happen we are going to do that tour you know i don't know when if it, even if it's in a year and a half i mean we we are going to do it um it was important to us to to celebrate our our career and and celebrate that album so we are going to do the tour we just you know it's just on the on the back burner you know right now but yeah. uh but yeah we had um i think we had a really cool set planned and i think people were going to be we're going to be pretty stoked and pretty fired up about it so hopefully sooner rather than later we'll get out there and and be able to do it for folks and i was personally excited to see desert of song live because i've seen you guys like 13 14 times that's like the one song from that album i've not seen live yeah yeah that was one we were excited about i actually got a um dusty and i both got like different guitars specifically for that so we were like you know we were pretty stoked on on uh on, on playing that one as well, you know, that was going to be like a, a pretty momentous thing for us. Cause you know, again, we, we don't really play that song live. So yeah, that was going to be fun. And, um, like I said, we'll, we'll do it. Yeah. We're going to do it. <laughs> uh, completely changing gears. Did you guys see an uptick on like plays of your cover of Bohemian Rhapsody when the film came out? Uh, good question. I don't know if, if there was an uptick, I, I didn't see it, but, admittedly i don't really pay attention to stuff like that um so i don't know actually okay. that's a good that's a that's a great question i'm not uh, I, I don't know yeah, i because th- <laughs> i went and saw you guys with tron and i thought that might have been why there was a, a repressing of that at the merch table um sorry i missed had somebody yelling in my ear there for a second um what was that again oh just i saw a repressing of the seven inch at the merch table around the tron tour uh, and i thought that might have been why yeah no i don't know um, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's possible. I would say it's even probable that that happened. But um, yeah, again, I didn't, I didn't really pay attention to it. But we love, we loved obviously doing that song. So um, I can't remember if we, re, if we just had it on that tour specifically. I imagine we, 
that, that might have been the case. Hmm. We might have just done it, tried to, you know, reap the benefit of the, of the timing, <laughs> the timing of it. But uh, I mean, but yeah, get it while you can. Why not? That's right. You know, that's what it's about. Uh, so I Strike think it, while the iron's hot. Over the weekend on the BT Bam Instagram account, there was this sort of questionnaire that went out to fans to like fill out and tag themselves in. I'm not. Did you see this? Uh, no, I didn't see it. Oh. It was like five questions, and the idea was oh, to like. Oh, oh no, never mind. I do know what you're talking about. Yes. The one that was like, oh, you know, which song is most likely to get turned off on a jukebox or something like that. Well, I have some questions for you. Yeah. yeah. What is your fave solo? Parentheses any instruments. <laughs> yeah. So, um, for me, gosh, man, my favorite solo. Um, honestly, my, the one that I like that I like the most that I'm kind of like most proud of because it, it just has like a good, I, I don't know. I like, I like the way the solo came out is, um, is the, is an, uh, turn on the darkness and it's not like a shreddy solo or anything. It's kind of a mid game sort of classic rock kind of solo. I would say it's kind of more inspired by like, you know, the almond brothers or something more so than it is Steve Vai. Um, so, but I, I like I, I always like that solo. Not many people talk about it, but of my solos, I think that's probably my favorite right now. Uh, which song makes you feel like you're on drugs? Um, probably. Hmm, probably a topic stroll, just because of the, the quirkiness of it. That is a wild one. I have to admit, I have to agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, favorite song that you never play live. Um. I mean, having a hand in the set list, I feel you don't really uh, yeah. feel that one. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Let's see. You know, really, the when you ask somebody in the band that question, real, what it really means is what song do I think is like underappreciated by our fans? Because <laughs> if, <laughs> if the fans liked it, we would play it live. Um, so I'm thinking like, huh. Gosh, that's such a good one, man. Um I mean, I get, gosh, it might actually be, and, and I should, I say this because we, we did just play it live uh, and it didn't go over great, but it might also be Ectopic Stroll. I really like that song, but it doesn't do that great um, in a live setting. And uh, we probably, it'll probably be a very long time before we play it again. So um, that's probably a boring answer, but no. I, I, I love that song and it, but it's just not a, it's not like a crowd pleaser. You know what I mean? Of course. Uh, yeah. What, what song makes you want to wear corduroys? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's one of my favorite questions that we did. Um, that one might be, that one might be turn on the darkness actually. And final yeah. question that you've already alluded to. Uh, you put a song on the jukebox that makes everyone want to leave. Uh, it's got to be Swim to the Moon. I was Just actually... The, the length of it and the, the schizophrenic nature of it, I think. Yeah. I, I, it, it, I was in a bar one time and they had a jukebox that had, you know, every song in the world on it. And I put on White Walls and the bartender <laughs> literally turned it off and yelled, not in my bar at me. <laughs> I think I later put on Oh My Fucking God by Strap Young Lad and left because I thought I was going to get kicked out. But... That's hilarious. I, I like the opening of White Walls isn't like super aggressive, like, but maybe when Tommy no, hits, I don't know. Yeah, and then the ending is is fine too, but it's everything in the middle. I'm sure that that rubs people the wrong way. 
but you know it's a funny question because really i mean at the end of the day pretty much any any song any bt bam song is going to not go over well on a jukebox at a at a bar so um you know i don't know <laughs> no i mean i i was at a i was playing a show one time and the band before us as a joke put on dope smoker by sleep which is an hour long and that was supposed to be like our lead in music and yeah that was a fun thing too uh, that's hilarious alright well thank you for talking with me today uh, I, I look forward to getting my, my vinyl copy in the mail when it arrives and uh, awesome. when, whenever the tour eventually happens I'll happily be there I've, holding on awesome. to my Ace of Spades ticket and I'm excited for it so one, awesome. one day yeah one day it's gonna happen alright well you have a good rest of your day and uh, I'm gonna go get some coffee I think I'm gonna hit Temple All right. All right. awesome man thanks alright All right, take later. care The remixed and remastered version of Between the Barrier and Me's self-titled debut album might actually be sold out in a physical copy form, but they have been releasing new packages and variations of the album since the reissues announced. So keep an eye on facebook.com slash btbamofficial for updates, maybe more runs of that thing, or digital copies. You know, it's 2020. It'll be out there. Then maybe order some coffee from Paul over at nightflyerroastworks.com. All right, to conclude this episode, I am recommending Nick Haas. Nick is an independent progressive metal solo musician from Houston, Texas. To date, he has released two great tracks on his own. They are Empty Spaces and Dark Matters. Nick handles all the music, all the vocals, everything you're going to hear on these tracks. Here is Dark Matter in its entirety.
You can grab everything by Nick Haas over at nickhaas.bandcamp.com. That is H-A-A-S, by the way. Then keep up with Nick over at facebook.com slash nicknhhaas. If you are in a band or you'd like to talk to me, the best place to do that is over at farbeyondmetalpodcast.com or facebook.com slash farbeyondmetal. I'm also on Twitter, underscore farbeyondmetal. Then on Instagram at farbeyondmetalpod. The theme song is Far Beyond Metal by the band Strapping Young Lad from their album The New Black, courtesy of Century Media Records and Devin Townsend himself. Thank you for listening. A Catbox production.